be a hindrance. I'm not going to make you stand and I'm not going to make you sit down. All right?
I know. I don't know whether I should clap a Good Friday or not either. I'll just I'll I'll live in the weird with you a little bit. Tonight is a little bit different. Um, I don't have. Well, first of all, my name is Tom. Oh, I have a graphic up there. Perfect. It's the <laughs> world's biggest name badge. I don't have a house big enough to just bring you all into my living room. Um, so I've run the math, and really, my wife would kill me. But. I really don't want this to just feel like another church service. Um, I, I want today to feel a little different for us. So instead of just trying to have another service where we do a lot of really great things and we have a powerful message, I, I want today to be an experience where we remember something together. So Good Friday, what's it all about? Well, the fact is, People who thought that they were bringing the most important message of the world thought they were wrong. There was a mother who had lost her son, and she didn't know what to do. There were friends who were friends of this man who watched him suffer, and it was just all over. And by this point in the day when the sun was set, God's son was thought to be gone forever, and it was over. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you thought to yourself, Nothing will ever be the same. My friend, you're wrong. Things will only be better because Sunday is coming. And they just didn't know. They just didn't know. All the most human responses that they could have, which are doubt. Have you ever doubted before? Which are wondering, where is Jesus right now? Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? You ever had those questions? You ever lost somebody close to you or saw something die and say, this will never be the same? You're right. It only gets better because Sunday's coming. But we wanted to have a day where we just realized it was dark for a while. It was dark for a while. So um, there are people in my life who have told me about these things. I've never experienced them. They're called palate cleansers. <coughs> now, the way that a palate cleanser works is it cleanses, wait for it, your palate, so that you're not just going through the same thing and that you're ready to taste something new. Jesus would say it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good, and I want to get you ready for Sunday. So we clear the slate, and we talk about people thought it was all over. They were absolutely wrong. So the only thing that's going to work, that's going to be a little different tonight. Um, I know some of you, uh, you are going on spring break uh, tomorrow, and you're not going to get a chance to hang out with us. Send me pictures of the beach. So um, we've been asked by people, can they have an opportunity to still give an offering? Yes, but we're not going to pass out a basket tonight. It's just as you leave tonight, um, you can. There's going to be people who are waiting in the back who are volunteers there, and they'll accept your offering on the way out the door. But we'd also love to just hear from you if you're visiting tonight. We'd love for you to fill out a connection card. I'm going to stop talking about this stuff because it's really boring. Anyway, I want you to please fill out a connection card. My Catholic brain is dead. My friends, I hope that you can worship tonight. But I'm going to give you some permission. You can sit. You can stand. Um, you can sit or stand. I don't know. But, but uh, to please don't dance because I can't dance along and I would be a joke. You can dance. You can clap. You can sing. You can read the lyrics. Really, tonight's experience is totally up to you, and uh, we hope that you would join along with us the same way you would in my house, and I hope you brought a snack.
wanted to invite you to kind of forget about today and think about what might have been 2,000 years ago. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to walk you through step-by-step step of the story. You'll hear from our lead pastor, Scott, in just a moment. Um, but I, I wanted to help us to understand what it might have been in a place that historically we've called the upper room. And then eventually from the upper room where he had communion, which we will take communion together later. After that, they end up in a garden and they pray together, or at least they try. Have you ever been 
too tired to do what you thought you needed to do. I love what Jesus said as he looks at all of his guys passed out on the couch. Oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus prays, and this is out of Luke chapter 22, and I decided not to put this on your screens because I was afraid you'd read along instead of listen. You ever just looked and gone through the motions instead of really paying attention? So I invite you, if you want, you can close your eyes or you can just, you know how to hear a story. So here he is praying at the Mount of Olives in book of Luke 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew. See, Jesus knew what it was to need to be alone, but he knew what was coming. And he was about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, Abba, Daddy, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Isn't it interesting? We've been in this series called Miracles that the miracle maker, Jesus, the one who could say, peace be still to the storms, doesn't choose to do a miracle right then. In fact, when an angel shows up, I, I, would, I don't know how you would react to an angel showing up in your prayer, but I would say, prayer answered, check, amen. <laughs> but that's not at all what he does. In fact, he prays harder. Have you ever received an answer and thought, now I don't need to talk to the Lord about it anymore? Jesus shows us answers are deeper than what you can perceive, and he prays harder and harder and harder. And the Bible says that it was like, it was like blood dropping from him the way that he would sweat when he prayed. Most of us, most of us, and I'll be honest with one of them, when the waitress comes to the table at the restaurant and we're praying, I'm like, I'm so sorry, that must have been weird for you. But Jesus doubles down and he says, more of you, more of you, more of you. There was a theologian, Jonathan Edwards, who said when he, that when he was looking into his cup, he says, if, if you're willing, take this cup from me, that perhaps what he was looking at at that time was he was looking into the very wrath of the Father. Wrath is a difficult term. It doesn't just mean anger. So when we say Oh, the wrath of God is coming. Sometimes we make that out like that's the anger of God coming. But our God is not a two-dimensional emotional basket case. His wrath is the only response that there is to anything that takes away your children. You ever felt like somebody was putting your child in harm and there was nothing that you could do to rush at it? And here is this paradox that the Father and Jesus are experiencing together. I want this to go away, but in order for my wrath to be satisfied of separating me from my children, my child has to die. This is love. Jesus said, no greater love 
has he than he who would lay down his life for his friends. And time and time again, we are called friends. And then when Jesus turns around and looks at his friends, they're sleeping. Have you ever felt alone? I have. Have you felt like you're the only one who cares? Am I crazy? I'm the only one who sees what's happening? Have you ever felt that way? Jesus did during that day. And at that moment, he was thinking, what do you want from me, Father? Because I will do it. God, help us now to worship you, to worship you well. Heather and I, uh, we, this is Heather. Say hi, Heather, if you don't. <laughs> Heather and I chose this song together because we were trying to think what, what does Jesus pray when he's desperate? And how are you desperate when you can walk on water? Well, I think he prays just like every other human does. He just goes to his dad in heaven and he says, I need you. I need you right now. And we ask you that you sing this song with us right now. You can stand and sing.
sing a song a hundred times, but when you sing it in a context like this, it changes the meaning, doesn't it? Sometimes I think that I'm only praying to Jesus, and I forget that Jesus once had to just pray for me and pray for himself to get through the day. That gives me comfort that God incarnate, that means in flesh, needed help. After he was in the garden, another moment comes, and we know that Jesus looks up in verse 47 a crowd was approaching him but Jesus asked him Judas are you betraying the son of man with a kiss I don't know what a kiss is like for you but maybe it's a hug are you shaking my hand right now and calling me friend well and one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right, he right ear, one of them being Peter. Sometimes when we look at the story, we think that Peter, like, who's just carrying around a sword? Another translation is something like bread knife. So I don't know if that changes the story for you, but it does for me. It's a terrible move. He's a Roman guard. Can't do this. But Jesus answered no more of this, and he touched the man's ear, and he healed them. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who came for him, Am I leading a rebellion? Have you come with swords and clubs every day? I was with you. You know me in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. I want to go further down. Because we know that Peter eventually disowns Jesus and Jesus forgives him later and he becomes a great pastor. In verse 63, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? What a joke. Oh, if you're so powerful, then be God and do this. 
How many times have I stood and I prayed and said, if you really loved me, God, then? But there they are. They have the opportunity. They look Jesus in the face and they blacken his eyes because they do not want to see him. And they say, prophesy. And then, after being beaten, verse 66, at daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. And Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. You know what the Bible says later? He does at that right hand, intercessing an hour behalf. And they all asked, are you the Son of God? And Jesus, no, you're right in saying that I am. So then he goes before Pilate. We know he goes before Caiaphas, and Caiaphas' his son. Why not get the whole family involved? But when he goes before Pilate, Pilate is trying to make peace. And he goes to them, and he says, A whole assembly rose. This is chapter 23 of Luke. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it's as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I, I find no basis for a charge against this man, but they insisted, they insisted on hearing this. Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. He was trying to throw things around him. Eventually, he tosses it to Herod, and then he calls him back. And they end up back in front of him again. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressed him in an elegant robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends before they had become enemies. Nothing like finding something in common when you can find somebody that you both can mock. Satan is evil. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers, and he said to them, You have brought me this man as one who has been inciting the people to rebellion, and I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against them. And neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. He's done nothing to deserve death. And he's absolutely right. Jesus has done nothing. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him out. With one voice they cried out, Away from this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and for murder, for doing the actual thing that Jesus was being accused of doing. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, and they kept saying, Crucify him. Kill him. And for the third time, he spoke up to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded him to be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. Sometimes shouting is more powerful than the truth. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released them back. And he released Barabbas, who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. 
interesting how Jesus says, Father, not my will be done, but yours. How do you wrestle with the fact that it looks like man is in control for a moment? And Jesus continually says over and over again, I know who is in power. I know who is in control. And all of my hope is in you, Father. I, I, I don't want to go through everything step by step that Jesus was tortured with and killed yet. I'm going to let Pastor Scott handle that in a second. But where do you go when there is no hope? Where do you go when the praying ends because you cannot pray because the hurting is so deep and you don't know how to say, dear God, help me because they're lashing you across the face? I tell you, that the man God, Jesus, who stood and took all of that on for us on a good Friday, all my hope is in him. May I have the strength to stand for purpose. So that's why we picked this next song called All My Hope Is In Jesus, because I want to know how to stand like him. Would you stand and sing with us? singer of YouTube. What do you think is wrong with Christian music? And he said, I think the biggest problem with Christian music that I have today is that enough of it doesn't sound like the blues. So we're going to rectify that right now. Shackles and chains 
just breaks a man Breaks him down to his knees And oh God, I've been broken more than a time or two Yes, Lord, he picked me up and he showed me what it means to be a man And that's why I sing want to look at, as we continue on our timeline of this Good Friday event, we've seen the garden, and then we migrated to the court, that a legal court system that happened over the night while people were sleeping. They tried Jesus. And so now we're in the early morning. And uh, I want to take pause, and I want to look 
what the Apostle Paul had to say about Jesus. Because in Philippians chapter 2, he described Jesus in a very beautiful way. He said in verse number 6, he said, Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, God in the flesh, he did not consider, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He lowered himself. At this moment, he lowered himself completely, taking the very nature of a slave. They use the word servant in some version, but the slave, the better term. He became a slave, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who created the universe, the God who could smash everything with a snap of his finger, with the spoken words, could have called it stop. He humbled himself. It became, and I love this, I never really saw this until the past week, but he became obedient obedient to death, even death on a cross. I was thinking about that, obedient to death. And think about this, you and I can't obey death. When death comes, it comes. We don't have a choice in the say, it happens. But Jesus had a choice. And he obeyed death. He could have said no to death and, and he could have walked away from death. He could have done that, but he obeyed death. That's a powerful thought. Because you and I can't do that, but he could. And on that morning, after they tried him, and after they decided that crucifixion was going to happen, Jesus willingly went through with it. He obeyed death. He obeyed. In fact, all of hell was working against him to disobey death. Satan wanted him to blew it. He wanted him to mess it up. And it's interesting to think about this. When we think about the temptations of Jesus, or, you know, when Satan tempted Jesus three times in the wilderness, that I believe that Satan walked away for a time and decided, you know what, I'm going to come back and do another temptation. We don't think about this as a Satan temptation while Jesus is down the hill. But if you were to look back in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus was tempted, and at the end of his temptation, when Jesus beat the devil three times, the Bible says in Luke 4 verse, verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, get this, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, 
He wasn't finished trying to blow it. He was going to do everything he could to get Jesus to disobey death. And so Jesus, he carrying the cross, followed by two criminals, walking to Golgotha Hill. They get to the Calvary Mountain, Calvary Mount. The Roman centurions, they've done what they've done this before. Anytime they crucify people, they've got to muscle a man. They have to muscle that person to the wooden cross that they nail him. Because they fight. They fight, the, they resist it all, as, as much as they could to avoid crucifixion. And I can imagine that first prisoner, as they laid him down, that maybe three or four Roman centurions on, on that prisoner, holding his arms down while a man, while another centurion soldier take a nail and a hammer and drive into the hand and feet. And that second prisoner, all right, now he gets to watch this whole thing. And so he said, you know what? I got to fight this really hard. And so maybe it takes five or six, maybe seven Roman centurions as they muscle this person down, as they fight not to be crucified. When it comes to Jesus, I'm sure the Roman centurions say, okay, this one could be the most difficult one here. Okay, he's seen it now, and so he's really going to be fighting. I'm sure the centurion soldiers were shocked that Jesus didn't fight. He willingly, willingly lay down on that cross. I'm sure the soldiers were like, man, this is something else. Jesus laid it down for them. He didn't have to be muscled and wrestled to that cross. He obeyed death, even death to a cross. I raised him up and three different times, three different times from three different people, three different groups of people. The first time, Roman soldiers said, hey, if you are the son of God, save yourself. The religious people came around and said, hey, you said you could raise, you know, the temple in three days. You could do all that after you destroy it. Let's see you do it to yourself. Save yourself. If you are the king of kings and the son of God, save yourself. The third time, the criminals on the cross look at him and say, man, they're all saying that you're the savior. You're the Messiah. You should save yourself. All right, do it for us too. Come on, do it, man. And I believe that Satan was doing everything he could through people to try to get Jesus to disobey the death, even the death to the cross. In fact, Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels. Talked about angels a few minutes ago with Tom. A legion, by the way, 6,000 soldiers in Roman legion talk. So that's what they would have understood back then, a legion. That would have been 72,000 angels. And then Isaiah talked about one angel destroying 185,000 people. 
that one legion, that one legion of angels times 185,000 people that they can each destroy at 1.1 million people. Times 12, 13 million plus people. Jesus could have called it, and they were ready. I'm sure the angels from the portals of heaven were just, man, God the Father, please let us go. God the Father said, wait, no. Hold back. Hold back. And Jesus could have done it. But he did it. And each time, defeating Satan with every temptation that he was throwing at him. And he cried out, it is finished. It is finished, which is the Greek term, tetelestai. And you're crying out that word, tetelestai, which means it is finished, it is done. It wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a cry that a marathon runner would cry out when they crossed the finish line. When they crossed over, they would say, I ran the race, and I won it. Tetelestai. Hallelujah. And when Jesus cried out, it is finished, tetelestai, I'm sure the Roman soldiers were looking up and saying, wow, what is going on here? He's not winning. He's losing. But yet he humbled himself. And then the Bible says, he died. He died. He did that for you. He did that for me. He died on the cross. And as we celebrate and reflect on Good Friday, it's because he died on the cross so that we don't have to. Because three days later, We'll celebrate a Savior that rose again. But first, he had to go through the horrors of the cross. But he willingly died. He gave his all. He was obedient when he didn't have to. But he was obedient even to death of the cross.
come to a place through communion where we reflect on the sacrifice of Christ. The life that he gave so that you and I could have life. Unless we ever forget God instituted a way for us to have a memorial for us to remember what happened on Good Friday, 
and to remember the hope that we have in Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul teaching the church how to have this memory, how to have this remembrance, and remember the death of Christ and the salvation that it brings. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, which would have been last night, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he said here, it's not on the screen, but in verse 26, he said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We know that he's coming again. We know that we will see him face to face. We will be changed when we see him face to face. But until then, we are to remember the salvation that he's given us and the blood that he shed for us. And we have to understand tonight, and I pray that you will just get a glimpse of this tonight, and I hope that you'll understand the gravity of what Good Friday means. God, I pray that you understand that we are unworthy. I am unworthy. You're unworthy. We don't deserve what Christ did for us. Not at all. We don't deserve it. But I pray that tonight we come to the table with humbled hearts, with hearts of, I don't deserve this. I didn't, I, there's no way I could earn this. And I don't deserve this. But I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for giving, giving us your life, eternal life. And so tonight, we're going to be taking communion a little bit differently. And Tom will explain in just a few minutes what that means. But I don't want you to understand this. Taking communion does not save you. What saves you? It's a simple belief in Jesus Christ that he came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And you're asking him to come into your life to forgive you of your sin because there's nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do that can earn it. There's nothing that we can do. We could be the best person we know how and we would still fall short but I pray that maybe tonight, 
Maybe you're here tonight and say, I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior. And tonight, I'd like to know him. And it's not communion that will save you. This is just a remembrance of what he has already done in your life. And if you've never asked him to come in your life, you're going to miss the whole point of it. Salvation comes not by works, but by faith in him. That he will come into your life and forgive you of all your sins. And so we're going to take communion. This is for believers who don't know Christ to remember the cross and what that means to our salvation. Our Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you tonight as we worship you and as we continue to worship through communion. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the salvation that the cross brings. And we thank you that the story didn't end at the cross. We are celebrating this weekend a resurrected Savior who rose again, who conquered sin, grave, and the death. You conquered it all. And you give us confidence. You give us something to believe in. Real hope. So we thank you tonight for salvation. When God, we pray tonight as we, commune, as we take communion together. We come to communion not because we know we earned it. We don't deserve it or earned it. But God, because of what you've done, God, I pray that we come to the table unworthy but you gave us salvation and I pray we have, leave here today with humbled hearts as we remember the death and the cross you did that for us in your name I pray amen as Pastor Scott said we're going to take communion a little differently today and there are three areas and he's going to uncover them for us if you would, fair enough. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> the way that we wanted to work today is because it's Good Friday and we wanted you to have time to ask the Holy Spirit, which we believe is God, to just say, God, is there anything in my heart you want to deal with tonight so that I can, I can really enjoy you this weekend? Or is there anything holding you back right now? Um, we, we want you to take time for that. And here's, here's how it's going to work. We're going to sing a verse and a chorus of this next song, and I'm going to call you forward, and I'm going to say you can come now. And the bread here is broken, unleavened bread. And we believe that that broken bread represents Jesus' broken body that was broken for you and I. And the juice that's there represents his blood. And what we want you to do is just take the piece of bread dip it into the juice and you can either take that back to your seat or you can eat it right there it's completely up to you but um, we do want you to head back to your seat after that so that we can close out and pray together so we're not going to dismiss you row by row you don't have to wait for anything like that it's just when I call you and you're ready and you're ready come forward and join us in communion
Still ring.